So, first of all, get jiggy with it. That's, man, I have not heard that one in a while. Pastor Mark is the coolest, right? (laughs) Oh my goodness. How is everyone this morning? Wonderful? Yeah, I'm doing good too. I'm really excited to be up here and be able to share. Uh, It's whenever Pastor Mark asked me to speak, as always, I I go through this, I go through like multiple things in my mind. And sometimes I just, I don't feel like the the Lord tells me anything for the longest time. Sometimes you wait till the very last minute. And that's exactly what happened. He asked me, Pastor Mark asked me weeks ago, and for the life of me, nothing was coming to me. What I was supposed to share on, nothing. And then last Sunday, when Pastor Mark was, was preaching, there was like, like a 30-second snippet of what he said that he talked about loyalty and he talked about sharing your story. And in that little 30-second, one-minute part of that sermon, this entire message just downloaded to me. And so I was like furiously typing on my phone the whole, the whole thing. And uh, so I'm really excited. This is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be, we're going to get a little bit weird. I hope that's okay with you guys today. Uh, Get jiggy with it. That's right. (laughs) It's going to be a little bit different from what I usually do whenever I share. So I hope, I hope you guys are okay with that. I'm going to, I felt like I should share a little bit more of my story. Many of you have heard my story. You've heard, uh, I've shared up here my my testimony and things over the years. But I wanted to share kind of a different aspect of it because we're in this community series and we're talking about the importance of, of community and finding your people and being loyal to your people and all these things that Pastor Mark talked about last week. And I kind of want to share my my journey because one of the questions I get asked Still, to this day, I get asked, is why did you move to this podunk little town? People ask me that frequently. It's gone down as I've been here for, it's like a year now that we've been here. And, but there's, I still get the question. So I I felt like I should share a little bit more of why we're in this community, why we're in this tribe, why the Lord brought us here. And kind of talk a little bit about the, the importance of finding your people. And so many of you know that in late 2016, I, my wife and I, we stepped down from our positions in Youth of the Mission. We were leaders in the nation of Panama. We'd been, I had been a missionary since I was 16 years old, uh, most of it in Latin America. And I had been part of Youth of the Mission, which is also known as YWAM. And my wife, she was the vice president of YWAM Panama, and I was the international missions coordinator, frontier missions coordinator for Central America. So we had been there for a while. I had been in YWAM for in 2016, something like 15 years up to that point, somewhere around there. I don't know the exact time, but 15, 16 years. And it had been my life. I had been, and I love YWAM to this day. I love YWAM. As a matter of fact, we have YWAMers coming up next week to come teach in our missions core course. I'm going down to Mexico again to teach, and I just got invited to go to Costa Rica to teach. So I still have a lot of, I love YWAM. Okay, so everything I say here today, uh, just know it is nothing against YWAM. This is just my experiences, and I still have a great relationship for everybody. So I'm just, I just want to preface all of this with that. So my wife and I, we stepped down from our positions in 2016, and we went through probably the toughest year of our life, I think, together. 
where we had, whenever you step off the mission field, well, what people consider to be the mission field, and you come to the States, even if it's just part-time, because we were still dividing our time six months overseas, six months here, uh, support immediately drops. We've never had salaries. We always have lived on financial support. To this day, we live on donations. And when you make that move, your support just drops immediately because people say, oh, you're not, you're not in ministry anymore. You're not a missionary anymore. And so we went through this year of being totally broke. We had nowhere to live. My parents had moved to Panama to be missionaries as well. And so their house was empty. So we stayed in their house and we didn't have anybody. We had no community. We had our church in Texas, but, and I love them. I still speak there to this day. Whenever I go, they're very dear to me, but they were going through a major transition in the church where most of the people I had known growing up there had all left. And it was a very different environment, and we didn't, we didn't have the same connection as we did before. Now it's changed. The time has gone by. But back then, that first year here, here uh, or there in Texas was really hard. And so uh, we went through this series of several months of traveling. We, we, do, we usually do speaking tours before COVID. Once a year, we'll spend two or three months, and we'll travel throughout the states, and we do speaking engagements and all these different things. And uh, we, we went on a speaking tour but it was largely to find a community that we could be a part of. We were in Dallas, Texas, near Dallas, and you would not believe how difficult it was. Some of you do, because some of you have been looking or looked for church families for a long time before you found one. And we were looking and looking, and as missionaries, our big thing was we want to partner with a church that's interested in missions. We want to be part of some, someone, a group of people that, had, that cares about missions and cares about what, our, what we care about, what our passion is. And... We went to so many churches and conferences, and we, we, we would drive, my wife and I and our two boys, we would drive all over Texas, we went all over Texas, and we would go church door to door just to see if we could talk to a pastor, and over the course of that year, I think we met with three pastors. There were only three that were willing to meet with us. Then one was because it was a friend of my grandmother who's very wealthy and gives lots of money to that church. So the pastor met with me, and the, one of the first things he said to me was, this is my golf day, so make this quick. And it was, he was so rude to us. And uh, the second pastor that met with us, he was very, I don't even know why he did it. I think it was just out of respect because we were missionaries. But he was very standoffish because they always think you're coming and just ask for money, which is we've never done that. We never went in asking for money. We still don't. We're going in because we're looking for people to partner with us in the kingdom. And then the third, this, this guy, I love this guy. We met, he was a young missions pastor for this 7,000 member church. And he was so excited because this mega church in Dallas, Texas, 7,000 members, millions of dollars facility, and they did not have one single international missions ministry in that church. And I was like the first missionary that he knew in that huge, massive church. And we had lunch together, and he was so excited. He said, I'm going to start sending teams to Panama, and I want to support your ministry. It's going to be awesome. Let me just take this to the church board. He went before the church board of this gigantic church, and whenever he told them that he wanted to start doing international missions, they immediately fired him because they didn't want any ministry that didn't benefit their internal community. And they hired a new guy who doesn't care anything about missions. And so this was our experience for about a year, and it was really rough. I, I can't even stress to you how stressful that time was for us because we had taken this huge step of faith, left what was to us our family in YWAM. They were who we had, 
And we were very stable in Panama. To come to the states where all of the expenses go up, everything is so much more expensive. People are mean here. In Panama, you can go door to door. You can walk up to anybody's house, knock on the door. They'll invite you in for coffee, even if they have no idea who you are. You can sit down, have coffee, hang out. You could be there all day, and they'll be sad when you leave. Here is not that way. We tried. <laughs> we, we, we really did. We got yelled at. Really, that lady was horrible. <laughs> so we haven't done it since. People are mean. And so it was, it was a really rough year. And in all of this, all of a sudden, we get this message from Katie Beard. And she asked, we were doing this thing called the School of the Presence, which we still ever do every now and then. And she asked if we would come up here and we would do the school. So we come up here and it was really weird. You guys are weird. And we're in this, so I, I tell you, we've been here for over a year now. And it's, there's still some things that happen that I'm just like, what, what is that? Oh, I can't, I want to go into it. But man, I'll tell you what, you guys are weird sometimes. And, and we came here and uh, we decided to stay. And I want to go into that, the reasons why in just a minute. But I want to share something. Now, you're going to have to forgive me for what I'm about to go into here. This is where it's going to get a little weird. And I apologize for that, but it kind of helps me illustrate my story here. So you guys know I love history, so we're going to talk about some history here. In the year 1603, there was a little boy. Well, he wasn't a little boy yet. He was being born. In 1603, there was a boy named Joseph who was born. Now, Joseph, he was born in the kingdom of Naples, which is in Italy right now. Well, it's, you know, Naples, Italy. You guys have heard about it. It's like a vacation place. But Joseph was born in Naples to a very, very poor family. This is a true story. And whenever Joseph's mother was pregnant with him, his father died. And his father was deep in debt when he died. So when he died, he left that debt to his wife and his children. And because the mother couldn't pay it, the Naples government, their kingdom people that came in, they took her house and all of her property and everything she owned and left her homeless, pregnant with Joseph. So this woman, she had nowhere to go, no family, no one who would take her in. And she ends up having to live in somebody's barn throughout her whole pregnancy. She's alone with her other kids in a barn, and she gives birth in one of the stables. Kind of sounds like the story of Jesus, but this is a true story, uh, which, I mean, if Jesus' story is true, obviously. But <laughs> you know what I mean? It sounds like, it sounds like, yeah, I mean, you know. Surprise, guys. <laughs> no, it's, it's one of those true stories where it's, it's very parallel. And so sometimes it's easy to think like, maybe someone made this up. But this is a true historical, there's lots of history here. It's, there's lots of testimonies. So this little boy is born. His name is Joseph. And Joseph, he, he's a troubled child. As he is growing up, I wrote down some stuff because I know Ernie would like this. Um, jo Joseph was the kind of boy that you would say, bless your heart to. Or I'm from the South. I'm from Texas. So here are just some things that they, people would say about him. Uh, they would whisper to one another, if his brains were dynamite, he couldn't blow his nose. Or the other one is, that boy is as confused as a fart in a fan factory. In other words, because of the way he was raised, because his mother was dead broke and they had nothing, he was not educated at all. He thought, they thought that he was a very unintelligent, just a dumb kid. And so he was bullied and he was made fun of his whole childhood. 
And he had, as a matter of fact, he was so, um, he had such a temper because he was so bullied that he had a major anger problem and his mother, he actually became a nuisance to his mother. This was not a sweet story where his mother was like, my dear sweet Joseph, she didn't like him. She thought he was an annoyance and she thought that he was irritating and she didn't like having him around. So he had no friends. His mother didn't even like him. They were broke. He had nothing. He wasn't educated, didn't, couldn't go to school, never made it anywhere. Joseph was just this broke, basically, and as far as society was concerned, he was just a worthless child. But Joseph had this one thing going for him, and that's he loved Jesus, legitimately loved God. Now, I'm going to tell you some stories. Now, just keep in mind, so you don't get mad at me for the story, this is before, this is before, like, the Reformation. This is before there were any, there was only the Catholic Church, okay? So that's the only option he had. Now, I, I personally think it's kind of a travesty that we cut off all of the saints before the Reformation when there are thousands of incredible men and women of God before the Reformation happened. But we refused to look at them because they, they, were, they had no other choice but to be in the Catholic Church. And because the Catholics worship them and make statues of them and all that ridiculous stuff that they do. But they didn't do that. They were awesome men and women of God. So Joseph, he loved Jesus. And because he had no one else to spend time with, he spent his time praying. Now, he had a major anger problem that he struggled with, but he spent all of his time praying. And after years, this is as he's a child, as the years go by, he starts having all of these visions constantly. He start, God starts showing him all of these visions and wild things, and they got so intense that he got the nickname, the gaper. That's what they called him. Because he was always seeing so many things in the spirit that he would walk around with his mouth open. <laughs> All the time. And so they called him the gaper. That was his nickname. And that just made him get even more bullied by people. Because he was constantly having visions. And he, he was praying so much he was useless in anything else. Nobody wanted him around, not even his family. And so his uncle felt sorry for him and decided to take, take young Joseph in and teach him how to uh, be a shoemaker because he was a shoemaker. He brings Joseph in and Joseph stayed with him for a, a time, a few months, and he's trying to teach him how to be a shoemaker, but Joseph is terrible at it. He's always having visions, so he's constantly breaking the shoes and dropping the equipment and can't do anything right. And so after a few months, that uncle, uncle guy, he sends Joseph back to his mom. Because this guy's worthless. He can't, he's just sitting around looking at stuff, looking at space all the time. Sends him home. And Joseph then doesn't know what to do. And he has this idea that he will go join the Franciscan monks. These are the monks that follow St. Francis of Assisi, who was an incredible man of God, by the way. So he goes to the Franciscan monks. The Franciscan monks are very, they were like the mainstream denomination of the day. And he goes into this denomination and they go through the same thing people go through the day. They have like this exam, are your doctrines, all this, all this stuff. And they examined him and they rejected him because he wasn't intelligent enough. He was not educated enough. He didn't pass their exam. So the Franciscan monks refused, they didn't let him in. So then he doesn't know what to do. So he hears about this branch of the Franciscan monks called the Capuchin monks. And the Capuchin monks, they were an even stricter group of monks that followed St. Francis of Assisi. So he goes to the Capuchin monks and he asks if he can join them and they accept him. 
to be one of the, the um, dishwashers. And because that's how the monks, they would start. They usually started serving in the kitchen and then they got bumped up as time went on. He gets accepted. He stays there for eight months and keeps breaking all the dishes because he keeps having visions while he's washing the dishes or carrying the food and he would drop them and they would break all the time. And bless those capuchin monks. They put up with it for eight months and eventually they were just like, I'm sorry, Joseph, you're just not going to make it as a monk. And they sent him back to his mother. He gets back to his mother. His mother does not want him in the house. He's 18 years old at this point. And his mother is just like, you are worthless. You need to get out of here. Joseph had no idea what to do. He was terrible at everything. The only thing he could think of was he's got to be in some kind of ministry. And so he goes back to the Franciscan monks and he begs them just to be able to clean the horse stables. Just let me, just let me live in the monastery. I'll clean the horses. I'll, I'll feed the horses and give them water. Just let me stay in this. I won't bother you guys. I'll just be in the stables all the time. So they finally agreed. And he became the horse, carer, horse taker carer guy in the Franciscan monk thing, monastery. And so he starts taking care of these horses. And as he's taking care of these horses, he's all by himself and there's nobody yelling at him. He's, he's doing a good job. The Holy Spirit starts to work on him as he's working with these horses. He starts, all of a sudden, the fruit of patience starts, come, starts growing in him. And that anger issue he had went away. And then... The vision and stuff that he had started, he started maturing in how he handled these prophetic words and these visions that God was giving him. And he started learning how to, to manage things and just spiritually. And he also became more focused and he didn't break any of the horses. He, he just took real good care of them. Like he said, I will pray, but I will also learn to take care of these horses. And so for several years, all he did was pray and be in the horse stables for years faithfully just boom just take care of those horses and so many years went by that finally the other monks they were really impressed with his lifestyle they were impressed with the simplicity of his life just pray and do your job that was his whole goal in life pray and do my job and they were so impressed that they finally made him an official monk in the monastery and they took him out of the stables and they let him be in the main monastery and he was still Bless his heart, he was still unintelligent, uneducated. But he was so full of the power of God that people just liked to be around him. And so he would be in there, and whenever this happened, there was, you know, sometimes we do this. Whenever God opens a new door, we're like, all right, this is it. I'm going full blast now. And that's what Joseph did. Whenever they brought him in to be a monk, a full-time monk, he decided, okay, God, I've been faithful in the horse stables. Now I'm going full blast for you. And for the next 35 years, which was the rest of his life, for the next 35 years, he fasted five days a week and only ate two. And whenever he ate those two, he would put bitter spices in his food so that he didn't get addicted to food. So it tasted gross. Even the good stuff he ate tasted gross. Because he didn't want to become addicted to food so he could continue his fasting. 35 years straight, never stopped. He did that. And God started multiplying the power and anointing on his life. And this thing, this is where it's going to get weird. This thing started happening where, whether you believe it or not, there are thousands of eyewitness reports on this. Okay? 
It started happening where when he would be in their church services, if he just heard people worshiping, he would start floating off the ground. And thousands of eyewitnesses. They were in mass groups. There are 70 written accounts of people seeing this happen. And it would happen every time because he would get so involved in worship, he would just start floating. And there was once, there was one story, they actually have, this is one of the most famous, there are all these paintings of this, where he was actually outside this, this new monastery, and the monks couldn't figure out how to get the cross on the top. And so he walked over, and he grabbed the cross on the ground and started praying, and then just floated up to the top, put the cross on, and floated back down. Seventy times, this was, there are all these recordings of this. And it was actually so prevalent, believe it or not, this is weird, believe it or not, Joseph is in the Catholic Church, he is the patron saint of pilots and air travelers. <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth. Because he would float so much. But aside from that, all these crazy miracles started happening. All kinds of weird stuff we won't go into, weirder stuff even. All this weird stuff started happening. And he started getting famous. He never, he didn't leave the monastery. He wasn't seeking fame. He didn't want it. But people started traveling from all over Europe just to watch him in worship because so many things would happen around him just when he heard music. And so people start traveling from all over and they're wanting advice from him and they're wanting him to pray for them. And it became so big. All these people were coming from so many places that the Franciscan monks, they started sending him from one monastery to the other just so people could look at him and worship. He was under observation. It, whenever they weren't in service, they would have him be in a room and the monks would just sit there with him while he prayed so they could learn how to pray like him. And as the years, remember, this is 35 years straight of ministry. As the years went by, he became so mega famous. Like we hear about Catherine Coleman and people, people who were famous in, in our span of time that we know of here in the States. He was so mega famous in Europe, he, he, had, he stopped being able to go to church. Because so many miracles would happen people stopped paying attention to actually what was happening in church and they were just coming to watch him. And so he, along with the other monks, they decided that he would go into basically a solitary confinement. He would only be in the monastery, in his room with other monks. He couldn't be out in public for years of his life. Now, there's some dispute as to whether historically, whether he was really on board with this or it was just the other monks decided this out of jealousy because he was still uneducated. He didn't suddenly become an educated man. And so some people think it was the other monks out of jealousy. They forced him into this situation because they were too jealous of him. Uh, but one thing that is universally accepted throughout all of this was that he didn't seem to care. One way or another, like he was always full of joy and peace and happy. And he was documented. There were, there are thousands and thousands of miracles that were witnessed. Just, just when he was by himself, the monks would come into the room to check on him. And there would be so much of the glory of God in the room that they didn't even know what to do with him. And Joseph, he lived his whole life like that. And the amazing thing was, regardless of whether there was jealousy, regardless of all this stuff, Joseph, he spent his childhood years trying to find his people. And he was rejected and rejected and rejected. And whenever he finally found those people, when he finally found his tribe, 
He stuck with them for the rest of his life. He was loyal to them. And even when they were, if it was jealousy, even when they were jealous of him, he still stuck with them. And he still blessed them. And he would still go to the services when they wanted to go to the services. And he was still faithful his whole life. It's a powerful, powerful testimony. And whenever I was going through all this stuff, when I was going through that year that was really difficult, I, I had spoken to this man when we were doing our, one of our speaking tours. And I had gone down to South Texas to this conference. And I spoke with this man and I told him, I said, man, we just can't find anybody. Like we're going, everyone, and, and there's nothing against any, any of these people, but in our area, we had Todd White like 30 minutes from us. And so all of the churches supported his ministry and didn't want any, because it's this giant ministry and didn't want anything to do with smaller, like ours, we're a little baby ministry. No, they would all just say, oh, we already support Todd White or Joel Osteen or one of those guys, which is another, I, I mean, I honor what they do. But it was, I, I could not find anyone who would work with us. And so I was meeting with this guy in South Texas. It was a phone call, actually. And I said, I don't know what to do, man. And he said, you said, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to find your tribe. You need to find your people. And then you need to stick with those people. And so whenever Katie sent us that message and we came in, we're like, man, these people are weird. I mean, <laughs> pastors wearing Crocs in church. And, I mean, I can't, we're, we're from Dallas where we're, our church is not big by, it's a few hundred people, but we're in a lot of churches where they're like, thousands and thousands of people and everyone's fancy and I was like and we're you know wearing Crocs and it was it was wild like it was it was you know everyone's got tattoos I don't have any ta- I'm not against tattoos at all I just never seen so many tattoos in a church before it was just I mean in YWAM sure everyone's I mean people have like full face tattoos of Jesus you know uh, so it's like I'm used to that it doesn't bother me at all it was just it was just a very di- different atmosphere and so when we came here and my wife and I, we felt like this is, we think this might be our people. This might be our tribe. These might, might be the people that God has called us to. It was really significant for us. And I want to I share just a little bit of, of our story that, because I, I mentioned in the beginning, you guys have heard our story of being in missions and, you know, punching monkeys in the face and uh, all the crazy things that we've done, the refugees in Iraq that we work with and uh, the, all the rebel people in Colombia, all the stuff that we have done. But there's, there's a side I haven't really spoken about, I don't share about in public, and it's for a lot of reasons, but one is just I, I, um, I'm always an optimist, and so I like to see the better part of people. But, I, but for the sake of uh, today's sermon, I'm going to share some things I don't, I don't think I've ever shared just publicly like this. And I'm going to try to be a little bit tactful in how I share it, but uh, we'll just see how it goes. And so, so whenever I joined YWAM in 2001, I, the only thing I wanted was I wanted to be a director of a YWAM base. I want that's even in, in, uh, they have the initial school called the discipleship training school. It's the six month school and you, you have to keep a journal and I hated that journal because I made you decorate it and stuff and it was awful, but I still have that journal to this day as much as I hate it, as tedious as that was. And in that journal, one of the, one of the questions they asked us was, what do you want to do with your life? And I wrote, I want to be a base director in YWAM. That was my dream. I'd, I had grown up reading missionary books and that I just wanted to lead a ministry. And so whenever I first started in YWAM for years, that's what I told, I told all my leaders. I said, one day I want to direct a base. That's what I want to do. 
And the first few years, I was in Turkey the first couple of years, and I, they are still so dear to my heart. For those of you who remember Jana when she was here, um, if I may have not even told you, but they were trapped in Syria for several, for several days a couple of weeks ago when this stuff with Afghanistan, when the Taliban started coming and doing all this stuff, Syria closed its borders, and they were in there working with orphans. They're back home, though. They were able to get out. They're back in Iraq and because they were able to get out and all this stuff, but those, those guys are very dear to my heart. But after that, whenever I went to Panama, you guys have heard, you've heard about all, so many of the miracles that happened in Panama, the healings and all that kind of stuff. But the truth is there, there are always two sides to every coin. There's always struggles in everything you do. There's always conflict. One of the biggest mistakes, and Pastor Mark has shared about this, one of the biggest mistakes we make is thinking that, oh, if I'm part of a good church, there will be zero conflict. We won't be upset with anyone ever, and we're all going to agree on everything all the time. That's just not how it goes. That's an unrealistic expectation. We will disagree. And the key to having solid community and finding your tribe is understanding you will disagree, but you can still love each other. And so it's, that's my, how I feel about YWAM. I'm going to share some of the harder stuff, but that does not mean I love them any less. Okay? So I wanted to be this base director, and I went to Panama, and... Whenever I first got to Panama, I met with our, our, the main regional leaders there, and I said, I want to be a base director one day. I want to work with tribes. I want to start this. And they said, that's awesome. You've already got that experience in Turkey. You've, you've got some ministry experience. What will really help set you up to be a base director is if you go with this team and you pioneer a new base up in a, a tribal area in Panama, in, in Chiriqui. It's where a lot of the Nobe tribe is where we worked with and planted a bunch of churches. And so I said, awesome. I went we were there for a few months. The new director, the guy who was my leader, was this new guy. He was a young guy. And he, he was a new missionary, too. He had only been in the ministry about as long as I had. We were both young. He was, he, we were both kind of thrown into this situation. There were only four of us on the team. It was him and I and then these two, two ladies. And we were supposed to start this brand-new base in this new area. So we get there. Many of you know the story. I met Carmi, and a few months later, Carmi and I get engaged, and we're planning our wedding. And right as we're starting to plan our wedding, this new leader, he had been my leader for just a few months, he tells me that he and the, other, the rest of the team, they're going back to Panama City to go through some training for a couple of weeks, and that they're going to be back, but they need someone to stay behind to keep the ministries running while they're gone. And since I was already planning my wedding, it, I should be the one. So I said, awesome. That sounds great. That's perfect. They left and several months went by and they didn't come back. And one day, this is literally just, it might've even been after a wedding. I can't remember. It was either right before or right after our wedding. This guy calls me and he says, by the way, we're not coming back. I'm going back home. And the other two, the two ladies, they're not coming back. They don't feel like it's time. And so I was in this situation where I had just gotten married or I was just about to get married. So I couldn't leave. And so I said, okay, well, after my wedding, we're going to, we'll come back. Uh, we'll do YWAM. We'll come back to YWAM. Because YWAM was my family. I'd been with them for several years at that point. And so that was it. That was the last conversation I had. We get married. A few weeks later, probably a couple months later, I called. Now, that guy had gone home, so I had no way. This is, this is like before I didn't have smartphones. I had, no, I had no way to communicate with people other than just calling them. So I called the base, and I asked for the leader. He was gone. He was from Norway. He had gone back to Norway. So I get the base director, and I said, hey, could we come back? My wife and I, we're married now. We're really excited to come back to Wyoming. Can we come back? And he said, no, you can't come back. He said, you're too immature. You can't come back to the base. You need to spend some time. With, you need to spend some time there 
and you need to mature a little bit more before we'll accept you back. I had no, I, I completely did not understand. He said, but I'll tell you what, we have a, a mission trip team that's coming and we're going to send them to you and you can help translate for them. And I was completely confused, had no idea what was going on. The phone call ended there. That team comes a little bit later and I meet the team. I, I introduce myself and one of the guys, he says to me, oh, you're the one they warned us about. You're the lone wolf. And I'm like, what are you talking about? No idea what was happening. And that team's there and they live. The, the leaders never spoke to me about it. This is what Pastor Mark talks about. We, they talk about this here in the church all the time about if you're offended with someone, talk to them about it. Don't just like leave the church or talk about them behind their back or any of that. You talk to the person because sometimes, like in my case, I had thought I thought I had done everything right. I thought I was completely, I, I had no idea anybody was upset with me about anything. And so this team leaves and I asked again, I had wrote, written the director again and said, hey, it's been a few months. Can we come back, please? And he said, no, you're, you can't. You're rebellious. That's what he said. I'm, I have no idea what's happening. So my wife and I, we eventually decided, well, they won't, they won't have us here, so we're going to go to Costa Rica because they would let us go to Costa Rica. We went to Costa Rica, and uh, again, same thing. I said, I want to be a base director. But now I had this mysterious reputation of being rebellious and never, had no idea why. And so they had me milk goats for almost two years. That was what I, every morning up at five, six in the morning, go milk goats, go cut banana leaves off banana trees, give them to the goats. I was like Joseph. I was just taking care of the sheep. I was there with goats for like two years. And I mean, I knew them by name. They were my friends out there in those. I mean, they, yeah, 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 yeah. I know that's why we fit in. So I was out there and the whole time. I was just like, I don't understand. What did I do? And so these two years go by, and after two more years, so I'm there for two years total, I call the base director again in Panama. I said, hey, we've been here for two years. We've been faithful. Can we please come back? And he says, okay, you can come back on a probationary uh, thing. You come in for six months to a year, and we'll see how it goes. So we get there, and by then I was, for those of you taking Spanish class, my wife is an awesome teacher, and I was I don't want to say the best, but pretty close to the best translator in Central America. It's Spanish English. Like she's a very good teacher and I am, my Spanish is very good. And so uh, they realize I'm a really good translator and I'm also really good at leading short-term teams and mission trips and I'm, I can do things. I had been in YWAM since I was 16. Like I knew, nobody knows YWAM better than me in many ways. And so I had been there and they put me to work, which I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with that. They started giving me books on leadership because I had said I wanted to be a leader. And so they start having me do, I'm mostly translating for the schools. And also they're having me lead mission trip teams. And for us, because I wanted to be a leader, they would stack on more and more things for me to do. And so my wife and I, we would be there at 7 a.m. and many times not leave until way after dark. Almost seven days a week, right? We were there morning to evening. That's with our two boys, family, barely had any time that we were together. And she'll tell you, there were times our, our director was so like, he had kind of a vice grip on us, so much so that if we, there would be nights when it would be really late and there would be like worship going on or, or something, something would be happening. People would just be eating dinner and we would try to leave early because we're like, we want to go to bed. And he would follow us out to the car and say, where are you guys going? And he would rebuke us for not being sociable. 
That was, he always tells, you're not sociable enough. To be, he'd say, you want to be a base director, but you're not sociable. And so this would happen. And so this, we were there for several years. I was there for a few more years just doing this all day, every day, translating, leading teams, all these things. So finally, after a few years go by, I met with them again, with all the leaders. And by this point, I was on the leadership team. I was one of the main leaders on the base. And I met with them and I said, hey, I want to be a base director. You've, I've been saying this for since 2001. And I don't know what year it was, but I want to be a base director now. There's a province near here. Would you mind if we started, there's no YWAMers there, there's no base, and there's huge need. It's called Bocas del Toro. Could we start going there? Could we plant a base in that area? And they say, well, we don't think you're mature enough yet, but uh, we need to pray about it. So um, you can start taking teams, and you can st- take, it, take a year, start taking teams. You, you cannot slack on any of your things here, on any of your responsibilities, but you can start taking teams and uh, start, start preparing the ground. So we spend a year going to Bocas del Toro and we start, we lead all these children's ministries. We even found housing for a team, for a base to start. We had, we were planting ministries. We were uh, spreading vision, all these things. And we were poised to start a base. And a year goes by, we've done all this groundwork. And so I meet with the leaders again and I say, Hey, Uh, we've been doing this for a year. I give them the report of the fruit of all the ministry we've done. We have housing. We even have a couple people who want to go with us as part of our team. Can we go pioneer a base? And they said, well, you know, we really think that you need more training. You need more school. We we want you to do a leadership school. And then we want you to to, to lead the schools. And it's going to be a a couple more years. Uh, But let us pray about it and we'll see. About a week later, we're having a staff meeting. Now, remember, I am part of the main leadership team on this base. About a week later, later, we're having a normal staff meeting, and the director, he makes this announcement, this bombshell announcement. He said, the leaders of the base and I, which I'm one of those leaders, have been praying, and we have decided to give the province of Bocas del Toro to another couple who are going to come in and start a base. And I was shocked this because they never spoke to me about it. We're going to let them come start this base. And it was a couple that hadn't even been in Panama, really. They had no, they had very little experience in terms of what we were doing. And so I was very upset. And I went and I said, what, you didn't even talk to me about this. What can I, am I even allowed to go be on staff at the base or help or anything? They said, no, we really think you're not ready. You're not mature enough. Carmi won't be able to handle it. You need more training. And so at that point, I thought, okay, at that point, because I am very optimistic, I thought, okay, well, maybe he's got, he knows, he's got more experience. I, that's, I'll just do that, and then we'll go to another province. There are more places we can go. And so for another two years, I did leadership school, and then I led the school, led, led multiple schools, still doing all the same other stuff, translating, leading, doing everything. And at this point, our leader... The director there, he had gone, he had risen up through the ranks in YWAM, so he would be gone several months out of the year, and he would leave me in charge of the base. So I directed the base when he was gone. And all this time is going by, finally a couple more years go by, and Panama City, which was a base that already had property and vehicles and everything, the base director there, he burns out and he quits like that, real quick, it was very unexpected, he quits. And he just leaves. And there's a base property 
equipment, staff, everything there. And I was in the meeting whenever our director, he said, um, we need, what are we going to do? We need someone who will step up and go direct that base. And I said, can I meet with you guys, with all the leaders, and present my case? And the worst that can happen is it closes, which is already what's going to happen if nobody goes. So I could at least try. At least if I fail, we didn't lose anything because I can just bring everything back here with me. And so we, we um, set up a meeting for the next day. And myself and one other guy who was this, he was a terrible staff member. He was lazy. All, I wouldn't work with him because he always showed up late. He never did any, he wasn't leading anything on the base. We both have meetings with the base leaders because we both want to start bases. And we go there, and when I go in, the directors say, um, you're not mature enough. We want you to do a, get a master's degree. And it's going to be a four-year program, and it doesn't start for a year, so we need you to make another five-year commitment to us. And this other guy who had not done half of the things that I had done was, was approved to go start the base. And he left a few days later. And so I was, I, I went home that day and I told Carmen, I said, we, they're, they're never going to let us go. I said, we, this, we are too integrated here now that if I leave at this point, that means I, my eyes started opening. Because up until that point, I was just like, okay, well, I guess I'm just too immature. But that day I started realizing if I leave, he can't do the things that he's doing. And I, I, so I started calling other pastor friends. Because one of the benefits of leading like a hundred mission trips is you meet a lot of pastors. And so I had built relationships and I start calling these pastors. I'm like, man, I don't know what to do. Um, I, I, I've been in YWAM forever. It'd been, it'd been like 15 years at that point that I'd been in YWAM. And I said, I've been in YWAM forever and I, I don't know what to do. And I just feel like we're not growing anymore. And it's really scary. And I don't want to commit another five years to something that's not going to go anywhere. And 100% of them said, dude, I've been telling you to leave for years. One of them said, he said, you are like an abused wife. You know that? He said, you keep getting beat up and then saying it's your fault. And they were like, you need to get out of that relationship. And so they all tell me this thing and they start pointing things out. They said, do you remember just a few months ago that team came? They gave 10, they said the director had nothing to do with that team. You led the whole team by yourself with one other staff person. It was 30 people. And when that team left, they gave $10,000 in cash to the base director. You can't even pay your $250 a month rent. He bought himself a new Jeep and didn't give you, even give you $5 from it. So all they do is use you, man. You got to go. And so we made that decision. And it was terrifying. 2016 rolls, rolls around. We stepped down. We come to the States. We go through that whole year. We get the message from Pastor Katie. Come up here. You guys are weird. But we still like you. You know, we still, it's weird, but we still like you guys. And when we first arrived, the first, I don't know if it was the first or second time, but when we came, Amy had set up a hotel for us. It was the second time. She had set up a hotel for us. We'd been in missions for 15 plus years, more than that, long time, 15 years. I don't think anybody had ever done that for us. Everywhere we had ever gone, when we went to churches, we were in their basement, usually without a shower or anything. We were in the basement, or we had to pay for our own, uh, everything on our own 
gas, everything. One church in North Carolina, they invited us from Texas to come preach in their church. We drove from Texas to North Carolina for a church service and uh, preached in their church service and they gave us a $50 offering and didn't even take us to lunch or anything. <laughs> like didn't even cover like a tiny fraction of what we spent to get there. And another time we went, we had Thanksgiving at a house and uh, we had been, we were speaking at this church and they invited us there over Thanksgiving. So we spent our Thanksgiving in this state. It was not our home state. And they had put us with a host family that didn't want us. And so on Thanksgiving day, we're in their home and they set up a table for us in a separate room and didn't speak to us the whole day. They were all in the kitchen cooking and everything. Like that was our experience with other churches, okay? That was our experience for many years. And so we come here and Amy's got a hotel for us and we're like, this is sweet. Like we're, we're in a nice hotel. I can't believe this is happening. And we come here and even though you guys are weird and you're wearing Crocs and all the other stuff, you guys were really nice. You were really friendly to us. And we had, um, what did we eat? Frogs? Katie and I and Carl, we all ate frogs and like, things that nobody else did with us. And we have been all over the States and we were in all these different places. And, uh, we, whenever we finally decided to move here, like Brenda Liberatore, who isn't here this morning, they took us into their house and then Ernie and Lynette had us with them for months. And I know we've had our kids had to driven them crazy and we're there eating all their candy, all Lynette's candy all the time. And, and then after that, uh, uh, Carissa and Kaylee have us over at their house. And again, I'm sure we drove them crazy and all that we finally get a house and it was, I was completely, to this day, never expected people like Pastor Mark showing up. He spent weeks, just these past weeks, at my house installed with Jerry, uh, yeah, Jerry and Ernie and other people and uh, Andrew installing new windows in our house and siding on our house, things that nobody has ever done for us in our lives. And not expecting anything in return, which is just weird. You guys are weird. <laughs> then nobody's, because everything we have ever done it was always because it benefited somebody else, even in ministry. And so when people ask me, why did you come to this podunk town? It is because of that. And it's not because we want free things or anything like that. Hopefully you guys know us enough by now. That is not the case. But it is because even though it may be a small town and you guys may not have Movie Grill, which we love so much down in Texas, it's a place you go and you sit in the movie theater and you press a button and they bring you like burgers and steak. It's glorious. And even though you don't have those amazing museums, we love museums, and you don't have Wet n' Wild, the gigantic, you have Del Grosso's, which is like a fourth of the size of our water park. And even though you don't have all the, the amenities that we have down in Texas, you have the tribe. And if, it, if we have to walk through the desert together, we're going to stay in this tribe because the tribe is more important than anything. Since we've been here, because we are good at what we do. We know we are. We've been in ministry forever. We are a well-oiled machine in ministry. We can translate. We can do everything. We get, still get offers for a lot of money to go to other places, to go back to Texas and, and help start churches. And we just got an offer, to, well, it's a couple months ago now, to go down to Texas and be their bilingual pastors. And for way more money than, well, I mean, we're not getting anything here, but way more money than we get here. I mean, benefits and everything. And we turn them down because we know you can, it is, we know how hard it is. Just like Joseph of Cupertino knew how hard it is to find your tribe. 
It is so difficult to find people who love you and will stick with you through hard times, through good times, through sickness, through health, through all those things. It is not easy. Many of you already know this. Some of you have been blessed to have grown up in this area and grown up in this church, and you maybe don't even know anything else. But I'm telling you, the pickings are slim. There are not many churches these days. Either they're really good with people, but they don't really love Jesus that much, or they love Jesus too much. Man, I keep saying things that are like not sounding good. (laughs) Or they love Jesus so much that they don't pay attention to their people. And if you make one mistake, you're out. So when, you, when I talk about finding your tribe, when I talk about why we came to this podunk town, and I know this is a very different sermon from what I usually do, but this is what I felt like, I, like God wanted to share. And again, I'm not trying to bash or harm anybody's reputation and why I went, because I love why I would go, I would go back if I had to. Not to Panama, but I would go somewhere else if I had to. But I will say this, that when you find the people that God has called you to. And it may not be here. It may be another group of people that are like-minded, that love you. When you find those people, stay with them and be loyal to them. Be faithful to them. Fight for them. Like Pastor Mark was saying, don't go backbiting and causing division in in your own family. Causing division and you hear people talking bad about your own people and you talk bad with them. Don't do that. We love you. We want to be part of what's going on in your life. And we, I guarantee you we're not perfect. I know Pastor Mark's not perfect. I talk to him every day. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not perfect either. He could, he could tell you stories. I'm, you know, we're we're going to mutually respect each other's privacy and not, not share stories today. <laughs> but we'll just keep, get, get jiggy with it, I guess. I don't know. So, so uh, it's just so key. I'm just, I have a verse here. I'm almost done. So, where are we? Galatians. Galatians 5.22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. You know how little people focus on faithfulness today? They usually stop there. They focus on the love and the joy and the things that make them feel good. But faithfulness is one of the things that require you to be good to someone else. Faithfulness is the one thing in these, well, maybe love as well. But for the most part, faithfulness requires you to bless others, not for others to bless you. It's mutual. But faithfulness can easily be translated into loyalty. And I believe that if you are not faithful, if you are one of the people who will come into a church and one little thing, perceived one perceived slight, one perceived wrong, and you're out of there, I think there's a, a fruit lacking in your life. If you're new and it's your first time and you're feeling that's one thing, but if you've been going to a church for a while and you like it and you feel like you fit in and then you, somebody, you know, Jeannie looks at you weird because she, she makes fun of me all the time and I have to stuff it down real deep, you know. And all the, <laughs> I love you. I'm just kidding. I'm just, uh, you know, so I'm, you just, uh, <laughs> see, see, I'm, I'm telling you all the time, <laughs> you know, something like that happens. And some people will just, I'm done. That's our culture today. You just, 
what is the cancel culture? Anything that offends you, but you can be best friends with someone, and then they say one thing, and you're like, you're dead to me. <laughs> Don't be that person. I mean, you know how many people are like, if you don't think Trump should be president, just unfriend me. I don't want to be your friend. Come on, people. If you don't think chickens have souls, we can't be friends. I don't know if they have souls, but they are delicious. God is faithful. And if you are not faithful, if you are not a loyal person, you are not godly. Two men were traveling together through the forest when all at once a huge bear crashed out of the brush near them. One of the men, thinking of his own safety, ran and climbed a tree. The other, unable to fight the savage beast alone, threw himself on the ground and lay still, as if he were dead. He had heard that a bear will not touch a dead body. It must have been true, for the bear snuffed at the man's head for a while, and then, seeming to be satisfied that he was dead, walked away. The other man in the tree climbed down, and he said, It looked like that bear was whispering in your ear. What did he tell you? The other man said, He told me that it was not wise to keep company with a fellow who would desert his friend in a moment of danger. Misfortune is the test of all true friendship. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for the people who have blessed me when I can give nothing back in return. I, I thank you for this tribe. I thank you for those who are here who have stood together for many more years than I have been here. I feel like just a baby in this group still. But Lord, there is a family here. And you have this precious treasure, this precious group here, this group of people that love each other no matter what is going on, that will stand together and be loyal together and fight through hard times and laugh in good times. Lord, I thank you for them. And I ask that you would bless this tribe, that you would bless this, this community, Lord, that you would bring more people to be part of what you're doing here, Lord, but also that those of us who, are, who have been here for forever, Lord, that they would have a new fire reignited and a new appreciation for what is going on here. Because it is such a rare thing to find a church of people that love you and love each other truly. So I thank you, Jesus. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.